0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Avowed Podcast. It is episode two. Before I tell you a little about my guest today, I want to give a special thanks to Nick Hammersley for the incredible music he composed for this podcast. I asked him for some irreverent and joyous new wave music that conveyed a message of love, and he brought me this stunning arrangement on the first try. Nick has proven to me that hiring skilled professionals to do what they do best, instead of trying to do everything myself, is a smart move which also happens to be a pretty solid lesson for anyone planning a wedding. Today I have for you a no bullshit conversation with the bossiest lady of them all, Miss Lauren Caselli. Lauren is a powerhouse event planner and the owner and creator of the Boss Lady Bash, where she assembles the most beautiful, intimate networking events for creative female entrepreneurs. Lauren has a bunch of wonderful things to say about her time working in the wedding industry, why she started the Boss Lady Bash, women supporting other women, negotiating a marriage contract, the princess complex, and how wild it is to be dating in our app-dominated world. This interview was recorded a few months ago, so before you start stalking her on Tinder, I should tell you that she has since found herself in a wonderful new relationship and is happy as a clam. I want to mention before we get into the fun stuff that this interview was recorded on some finicky equipment, so I apologize for any shuffling or knocking about that you hear in the background. The conversation is so damn good you may not even notice, but I figured I would address it up front just in case. And finally, if you haven't subscribed, rated, and reviewed on iTunes, now is the time. I need your kind words and listening ears to push me onto the new and noteworthy section, so please help a sister out. It takes but a minute of your time to help make my dreams come true.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Avowed Podcast. I am joined today by my dear friend, Lauren Caselli, who is a total boss lady slash take no prisoners, no bullshit kind of woman, and I adore her. Hello, Lauren.
2: Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here.
1: I'm really excited that I managed to find a pocket of time in which you were able to come. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) you have been so crazy busy this summer. This is actually just nice use to sit you down for like an hour. So that you'll stop moving for a little bit. (laughs) I
2: like that you introduced me with Take No Prisoners because that's actually in my dating profile. Is it really? You should know that, which I thought was appropriate. I'm not on Tinder. I'm not stalking you on Tinder.
1: (laughs) I had no idea. But that's how I would describe Mm -hmm. you because you're a no bullshit kind of gal, which I feel like I got from the minute I met you how new were you to town at that point?
2: Uh, I had been here for about a year and a half, but I had never committed to like anything ever. And so I was definitely not committed to Bozeman. And then when I realized that I needed more of a community, um, I just saw the amazing things that you were doing and I wanted part of it. And so it was totally sneaky and kind of like, yeah, maybe we should work together on stuff. But really, I was just kind of seeing you everywhere <laughs> and I wanted to know you, so. Well,
1: I'm deeply flattered now. And also when it happened, <laughs> I was very flattered. Um, how did you hear about me? Do you Was it just like Gosh. social media, like I, Instagram? Yeah, and kind of so stuff?
2: I, when I first moved to Bozeman and I'd opened Lauren Caselli events, I um, was freelancing and doing weddings. Um, and you were kind of this like, breakout star on the like it was just kind of like I just it was literally like I was seeing you in a magazine and then I would see you on social media and then somebody would link to you and then I had your cake once and I was like who is this girl yes I'm everywhere yeah and so it was probably a combination of like just seeing you like more than once in a few weeks and then also that was kind of after I had decided to stay in Bozeman and I was like well, now I need friends. I can't just, like, kind of, <laughs> right? like, be one foot out the door all the time. I need to commit to this place, and that's going to start with some rad people. And I honestly, you know, I am – I don't have any tattoos, and I am pretty – like, I have one, like, slight blonde streak in my hair. You've and had that's, it since like, I've known you, and You're holding like, on to it. that's, like, the one piece awesome. of edge that I can have. Because I know. <laughs> I love it. i have just, like, from a corporate background, I, like, can't bring myself to, like, anything else. But when I was, like, this girl might be friends with me, I was, like, <laughs> no – so, <laughs> yeah, and also, uh, you know, your creativity is really inspiring, and well, I'm so you. glad.
1: That uh, you know. I'm glad you could come on my show, so we could talk about how badass I am. Yeah, um, cool. That's pretty much why I've got. That's why you have a podcast. yeah. <laughs> why else would you have one? Yeah, isn't that why we do these? Yeah, that's totally. pretty validation. Sure this was for um, <laughs> so you had been here like a year and a half at that point. Yeah, about. Um, but you. So you went to university in Georgetown. Yeah, in D.C. What did you actually go to school for? I'm not sure that I know what your degree is in.
2: I was a foreign policy. Uh, Georgetown has a, the only school in the country that gives a bachelors of science in foreign service. Um, and the the goal is to prep their students for the um, State Department to be ambassadors, junior officers. and. Is that what you wanted to do? I did. So it was kind of like the first dream I had. And then when you realize that they take 3% of all of the thousands of people that take the test, I Whoa. took it a bunch and um, and then gave up on that dream. But um, I thoroughly enjoyed going to school for it because essentially it's how figuring out how people's cultures affect policy, which is yeah. basically like how humans interact with each other, yeah, which is essentially like everything. So yeah, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I can see how that would so I carry we, over
1: into a lot of different. Yeah avenues yeah so So, okay so you decided not to go that route and then you
2: moved to New York City Mm -hmm. so I uh I'm from western New York so I always like to say I'm a New Yorker but ask any real New Yorker and they won't agree with me um (laughs) I'm from Rochester western and uh, I went to school in DC and the foreign service is a waiting game and so I was like well in the meantime I had done some kind of um event fundraising for a political organization in Washington DC when I was going to school and I really loved it I loved kind of like doing everything from like putting stupid little name tags into stupid little badge holders which I still do now for all my events I know um, you're, very,
1: you're very hands-on I've oh, love it. <laughs> I've walked in on you oh, packing those tiny boxes yes!
2: and I love it um, I love that tangible kind of outcome too. I mean, I guess it's much like baking. It's like you get a tangible outcome. Yeah. Well, work. it's like
1: when you're doing something on a large scale like that mm-hmm. and you're really not going to connect with the majority of the no. people that are experiencing no. this thing that you're putting together, it's yeah. it like lends a piece of soul to the act okay. of planning it yes. and putting it together to like have your hands involved and to be yeah. experiencing that.
2: Yeah. And I think, I liked the vali- going back to validation. I liked the validation that I get to, got to watch people actually use the work that I did. It was really cool. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um,
2: so I did political fundraising, and that was fun and exciting. And DC is a wild place to do that, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then I decided that I was gonna make I, a. I decided I was never gonna make money in nonprofit, and so I was gonna go work in the wedding industry. Fair which <laughs> Hey, <laughs> I mean, you which. will make money in the wedding industry. Yeah. There's a reason. Why people go into right. it. Well, at 22 years old, uh, they, it was pretty much in 2007, so this was like the height of all of the money that could possibly be spent on things in New York City. rip right um, before, right before <laughs> all of, of the money stock stock getting spent, yep. Um And I got a job with a very high-end boutique wedding planning firm in Manhattan, and at 22 years old, I was managing budgets of um, a quarter of a million to a half a million dollars for a wedding. That is at Wild. 22 years old. Can like, you just imagine bonkers. writing a $500,000 check to a 22-year-old? Not really. I mean, I had a But like here, yeah, just handing
1: it like, <laughs> to a 22-year-old.
2: Here you go. And I was like, so I'm just going <laughs> to sign this contract on your behalf. And they're like, yeah, totally. And I was like, oh my gosh, Whoa. that's more than my rent for the whole year. Okay. That's unbelievable. You're
1: the only person that I know in any real capacity mm-hmm. who has experienced that level of the industry, which is part of why I wanted to talk to you yeah. because – when you moved to Bozeman, you started working for a wedding mm-hmm. planner here, mm-hmm. and I'm really curious, like, just, I mean, New York versus Bozeman, obviously, night and day, I'm yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. But there's crossover. But I'm just really curious, yeah, like, what was your experience like
2: in that, in that jump? Yeah. So in New York, especially in 2007, one of the, you know, everybody has to have a terrible first boss, I think uh and or I had several th- or several <laughs> terrible and then I've then, had a few and then you work for yourself and you're yep. like, oh, okay, you no know, cool. cool. and that's the instigator yeah <laughs> and then you're a terrible boss to yourself but um <laughs> my f- oh no it's so true <laughs> uh so my first boss was now that I'm 31 so I was 20 This is almost 10 years ago over 10 years ago um I was 23 At, uh, and my first boss was just one of those like Devil Wears Prada kind of very hard on all the girls. Very oh. like fashion kind of industry style. Um, but one thing she taught me was how to deliver an excellent customer service experience, like a client service experience. Like you respond to emails within 20 minutes. And if you don't, like you better have a really good excuse. And I need to uh, um, adopt that policy. Yeah. <laughs> I let it slide. So it was just one of those things that um, – look, at the time I was like – this woman is insane. She's ruining my ruining my life. I was crying every day. It was a terrible job, but, but also I was quite immature. Um, but then to kind of realize how on point she was for her clients, and obviously they're giving her you know a quarter of a million dollars to execute right? an event. Yeah, the stakes at the low are end. so high. Yeah, so um, it taught me how to create a really great customer experience for someone who's investing a lot of money into you, which. Now I get to take for my my own clients. Um, I would say that's the biggest benefit that I learned from her. Um, but I was only there for about a year um, because I was working eight hours a week and I was getting paid about thirty six thousand dollars a year. So when you do that math, I'll let you do that math at home and Ugh, figure it's out what to take me a while. I'm what in that uh, comes <laughs> out to be. Um, and I moved over to corporate events. Similar boss, very. Amazing woman. And this is like kind of the lead up to like why I'm so passionate about women helping women. Um, because I had I was really lucky in that I had amazing mentors throughout my whole early career who like invited me to senior level meetings and let me do more than just take notes and invested in you and invited me to like golf yeah. outings with like very high-level individuals and I was like 24 and you know that's amazing. Yeah. So um, I was lucky. I was really lucky and I got sick of New York as anyone, you know, I'm not a, again, like I said, I'm not a native New York City-er, so I got sick of it and wanted something a little bit more, I don't know, just enlightening maybe. I don't know if that's the right word. Something a, a higher bit quality to, of life. Yeah, better of quality of life. Yeah. And so, long story longer, um... I moved west eventually to get to California and stopped in Bozeman for a summer and never left. Um,
1: and. I love it.
2: Yeah. So you didn't move here for the skiing? No, so I did not move here for the skiing. <laughs> I swear, like, everybody
1: that I you do. talk to in this town is like, I, I moved here to ski. Yeah. And I'm like, so you're going to school so that you can ski while right. you're in school. Great. Okay. And I did not. I literally <laughs> was
2: like, it's cheaper than New York City and maybe I'll start a business. Maybe. Um, but that's why I stayed, which... That's yeah. why I wasn't committed to this place because I was like, well, it's cheaper, maybe I'll start yeah." And then well,
1: leave. and when I met you, I feel like um not that you've lost your like New York City mm-hmm. edge by any measure, but when I met you, I could tell that you were on the fence. Like yeah. that you were like, Do I go back right. to a bigger city? Am I here? Yeah. Like I could tell yeah. that you were like waffling a little bit and you definitely have put some roots down since.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And You know, it was funny because when I came out here, you know, I wanted to start a business. uh, So I started, and I actually started in marketing. I started doing copywriting. um, So like writing words for websites essentially is what I would tell people because they'd be like, like copywriting and trademarking. And I was like, "Mm -hmm." I know it's a
1: very confusing um, job. Yeah. People will get really confused. Right.
2: (laughs) So writing words, essentially writing words for websites. um, And... But I wasn't making a ton of money, and so I was like, how can I supplement my income? And I had all of this amazing event, six years of event, well, I guess at that time more because I had interned, but, like, six-plus years of event experience. And so I reached out, like, just cold emailed a bunch of women who were wedding planners in Bozeman, and I said, hey, I used to work for this, like, fancy, fancy firm, um, two fancy, fancy firms that you probably have heard of. Um and and then you can just had a you? bunch of jobs lined up at your door. I'm and, sure. <laughs> well, literally, I was so broke, but like the first person that emailed me was, I was like, okay, cool, yeah, I'll start tomorrow You'll do this. or whatever. <laughs> you let me know what you need. Um, and you're right. Like I was a little when I going from New York and not only New York City, like corporate events, which is where I moved after I did weddings, but also weddings. The level of expectation that clients in New York, um, or wherever we were traveling had. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they had it here, or if people just kind of like blamed it on. I don't want to say blamed it, but they kind of used Montana as an excuse. Like this is Montana. Like we don't, we don't really do that. I
1: feel like people use Montana as an excuse all the time. Yeah, you're used- like not having your shit together, right. or like. I mean, I'm all about being like relaxed mm-hmm. and easygoing, but right. also like when people use Montana as an excuse to be like bodunk or just like yeah. not have. I don't know like a worldly concept yeah. of the industry yeah. it's like come on yeah like we live in a social media heavy right. world like you can get a sense of sure. anywhere
2: <laughs> and like not delivering that's what I felt is like I wanted, I wanted to deliver and I think that that's you know that kind of goes back to back and forth to starting a business and then also starting the, the community that I started is like I want to deliver for people I want to do yeah. what I say I'm gonna do and so I think most um,
1: of us start owning our own businesses a because we've had terrible bosses totally. and b because we're like so si- tired of seeing a product that's being put out that isn't at the quality that it could totally. be right i mean yeah. and maybe that's narcissism on some level right. we're all like well i could i could put a stamp on that and yeah. it would be rad but but i think it's so necessary and um and you moved to bozeman which is like an incredibly entrepreneurial community it's yeah. unbelievable here I, i'm really curious what the statistic is because mm-hmm. i feel like 80 percent of the people who live here work for themselves and somehow we still have an economy and i don't understand it but yeah. you can go to the gym at noon and it's right. full yeah. <laughs> because everyone's on their own schedule and they're like yeah no problem
0: yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. But so, yeah, yeah. I just wanted...
1: so when you moved here, you were working in wedding planning for a while mm-hmm. and then you started your own business. And you did how quickly did you decide that you didn't want to be doing weddings so much anymore?
2: Um, you know, weddings, events in general are very laborious physically, they're very laborious. Um, you are on your feet, you are running, you are everything yeah. is happening quickly. And if it it's not happening quickly, like so much you're energy not out doing of doing it right, like you know, it, it should be a fire drill because. No matter how good of a planner you are, there's always something that's going to happen. And so I just got really physically tired um, and I wanted to enjoy the summer. And so I had a, a background in corporate events. And let's see, I moved here in 2012 into 13. And then about, I think I worked for about a year and a half or two seasons, two wedding seasons for another wedding planner while I built um while I built copywriting and then I cold pitched a client, my first corporate client just online in uh, April of 2014. And she hired me within like the month. You reached out to her. Yeah. She had like posted on her blog and (laughs) uh, like she's in, she's in San Luis Obispo in California. And I was like randomly reading her blog and she's like, I want to do this retreat, which I actually literally just got off a plane this morning from the second year of the retreat. Like, so amazing. Very serendipitous, but, um, when i had booked that client i was sitting in my car cuz i didn't have an office yet and i was on the way to a wedding for this woman who had told me that if i had ever booked another event she wanted a 10% commission and i was like like Not oh my gosh i just pushed though. i just did all this work and booked my own event and oh my i'm so proud of myself and now i can't i felt like i couldn't disclose it and so that was kind of the moment that i was like yay, I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, I did all of this work and and I might have to fuel someone else's dream and I'm not really excited about that. And so that was the moment where I was like, I think this is going to be my last season. And it was. um, It was my last season, October. So I booked her in like April of 2014 and October of 2014, I made the decision to stay in Bozeman and then did my first, quit my, quit my freelancing with yeah. the wedding planner and then did my first site visit.
1: I think it's yeah. a really interesting industry for that reason in that like everybody who works in this industry for the most part is self-employed, mm-hmm. right? Um, and maybe they have some people that work under them, but it's a bunch of small businesses mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but you have this hierarchy that's set up whereby wedding planners sort of end up in not owning people, but sort of treating them like they are their employees, yeah. right? Yeah. And you're like, but I'm not. Right. I work for me, sure. and you hired me as a independent contractor. Right. But there's, like, a really fine line there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and working in this town, because it is so small, mm-hmm. there's um, – you know, especially with really well-established wedding planners, there can be like some competitive Mm -hmm. behaviors and, um, and that atmosphere becomes really obvious. Like when I got into this industry, I had no idea that that was something I was going to come up against. I was like, I'm working for myself. I'm an independent contractor. I was not expecting anyone to treat me like an employee. And it happened so surreptitiously Mm -hmm. that it was like, I let it go on for much longer than I think I probably normally would, but it was a new industry to me. And so I didn't feel like I had the authority to be like, I'm actually not okay with right. that.
2: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny because and, and we're seeing this now, I think kind of national, like culturally, and I would say probably with the rise of social media and being able to peek into other people's lives. Um, but I remember that in New York too. And New York, obviously for a gajillion reasons why that's, but, yeah. but we see that in, you know, kind of the fashion industry. And um, there is this like narrative that, as a woman, powerful woman, you have to destroy other po- other potentially powerful women, women, and yeah. that really manifests itself in in female dominated industries like wedding planning, like fashion, and, absolutely, or the wedding industry, in and or like
1: in order to get to a higher level, you have to hitch your cart to someone sure. else's horse. You sure. know, um, there was a recent issue of Vogue that had um, uh, an article where um, it was basically like. I don't want to play the game. I want to change the game, like as a woman, right? And yeah, it is awesome. (laughs) It's incredible. And it's so, um, in some ways, you have to be like a sacrificial lamb when you think like that. Because I hesitate to say martyr because I don't love that concept. It feels really inauthentic. But but to sort of recognize that when you're going to be at the forefront of something, when you're going to say like, no, I'm not okay with being treated that way, this is this is how I think that this industry could run or here's how I think that we could treat each other and still actually manage to make a living without tearing one another down, yeah. like, you're going to encounter a lot of pushback.
2: Right. And I think, you know, I, I like to try to look for reasons why and I think pre-internet, starting a business was not easy. I mean, you were, like, clawing and scratching for every client. Oh,
1: absolutely. It's a completely different game
2: now. Mm-hmm.
1: Starting a – I mean, I – I feel like we live in an economic climate where it's so easy to be an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. at this point, just by virtue of like anyone can have an online store and you aren't just dealing with your immediate community as, um, as your client base. Yeah. Like that you could reach out to that woman who you had never met, but you were just following her. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's unbelievable. And she hired me. seventeen.
2: That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, and that's why so that's why i i i understand the kind of like but i was here first mentality i understand it it's hard when you when you work so hard and you feel like it's being taken away but i also think that um i also think that you know my favorite line whenever i get like complaining pants about what is happening in my life i say to, i just tell myself like don't complain about how you want it to be like figure out a way to deal with how it is because like the reality is like mm-hmm. you know Stop talking about the good old days. Like this was, you know, 10 years ago, it was so easy and it was great and I had all my, and now it's like all these kids are coming up and it's like, Absolutely. I know
1: I sometimes, um, I sometimes am able to step out outside of myself and be like, am I, I, like I preach a lot of um, acceptance and support, (laughs) especially for other female entrepreneurs and other women um, and just other people in the wedding industry, right? Like not tearing each other down and recognizing that there's enough work for all of us. But also sometimes I'm like, I wonder, am I going to be as gracious when the next wave Mm -hmm. comes and I'm not the new hotness anymore? Yeah. Is it going to be as easy for me to stand my ground?
2: (laughs) But I think that's the kind of thing that's like... First of all, you will always be hotness. Second of all (laughs) stop. Okay, keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Second of all, I think, (laughs) you know, I I follow um this guy, his name's Gary Vaynerchuk, and he says, I wake up every day and I try to put myself out of business. And I think that's a really like if you think about, you know, the statistics that everybody likes to bring about bring up about entrepreneurship is like, you know, who knows the top companies fifty years ago? Nobody. They're all out of business. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the ones that have endured? JP Morgan and I don't even know JP Morgan's the only one I got. And I'm not saying that, you know, we should aspire to being, you know, JP Morgan. But what I am saying is, like, (laughs) we should all be JP. Let's all
1: channel JP Morgan in our small business (laughs) venture. Totally.
2: (laughs) On some level, it makes sense. But, yeah, I just think that, um, especially for women, it's really important to realize that, like, they are not the competition. They are going to help you. You are your own competition. And that's something that we –
1: Thank Absolutely. I applied for a baking reality show at one point. It was amazing. <laughs> a hilarious experience. <laughs> and um I they were like, "Are you competitive? Would you consider yourself competitive?" And I knew what they wanted me to right. say. Like they wanted me to be like, "Yeah, I'll tear a bitch's throat out." Yeah. Like, "I'll do anything for the gold." <laughs> like, whatever the gold is, even if it's not money, <laughs> even if it's not a medal, I'll do it. <laughs> and I just couldn't say it because I'm not like right. that at all. Right. And so I was like, yeah, I'm competitive with myself. Like, I rarely feel like I want to indulge the piece of myself that feels like I need to compete with other people because I think that's a really unhealthy way to live your life and to do the best possible work that you could do. But if you're constantly competing with yourself and trying to figure out how to be a better version and do push boundaries and do more, like, that to me is a is a far healthier form of competition and ultimately like I'm interested in watching that but they weren't so it's okay. Right. But um yeah. Bummer. <laughs> but regardless well, like I think that um so you created the boss lady bash here.
2: Yeah, so and that yeah.
1: was um we started well I didn't start it. But you I was in like one of the you I was in the original did. group. No, I didn't. I am not <laughs> taking any credit for this. Um you I, that was like the week after I met you. I actually invited it myself was. along to that. You remember? Because oh, yeah, Kate, because Kate, was going. Kate right. was going, and I was like, um, also, I am yeah. going. And you were like, oh yeah, of course you totally. are. Yeah, I don't know on. why I didn't think to invite yeah. you. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so you invited I get what me. I want. Yeah, I get what I want. Mm, I'm back. <laughs> um, so you invited a bunch of these women yeah. who were who had already started their own businesses or were in the process of starting their own business. Um, to your home, yeah, and you hosted the first ever yeah. boss lady meeting, which at the time creative was club. what the creative creative was, lady
2: club, still kind of called that, that the was original kind of one, was still yeah. the creative
1: lady club, kind of.
2: You know, I um, it's so funny. I was just at another meeting before this, and I. I have not gotten so we just like spent you know ten minutes like talking about how terrible other women can be, but but in reality, I've never gotten to where I. I have, I could have never gotten to where I am right now without the support of other amazing women who were, who were able to recognize like Absolutely. how, who I was and that, you know, when I didn't know who I was myself. So that is something that I've always really felt and wanted to do for other people, but I always felt too young. Um, and then, so when I moved to, or when I committed to Bozeman and kind of the fall of 2014 and we had had coffee and then it was like the holidays, I think, um, I had kind of like sneakily just kind of been on the internet, like finding all these amazing women who are doing things like, you know, starting coffee companies and doing amazing calligraphy. And um, I literally selfishly, I just wanted to be in their community. I literally was like, I'm not a wedding. I don't do weddings, but I do this other stuff. And I really just want to absorb you and be a part of your genius. And, and um, it was totally like, you reach out to your idols and you don't think that they're going to respond because they're so busy. And then they all email you back and say like, sure, we'll come over to your house. And then you're like (laughs) total moment of, I was like total moment of fraud. Like, holy shit, all these women are coming over expecting something. I better do something. I literally was like, maybe a couple people will come over. And so it was 10 of us um, in January of 2015 in my living room. And I didn't really know what we were going to talk about but I knew that I wanted to hear about why you loved what you did and and what was hard because as women I think um we really you know and I try to not do this all the time but we 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 connect over being vulnerable and about the hard it's hard to celebrate ourselves which is why I always say like what do you want to celebrate um because celebration is really fucking important like it's so important and it's like the last thing that we do oh yeah um and then I really wanted to to allow people to a space where they could be vulnerable and say like, I'm not really making much money this month. I know it looks really nice on Instagram, but it's really not, not fulfilling my higher purpose or like, I love my business, but I'm tired and I don't want to do it anymore. It's so, so. interesting to hear you
1: talk about <clears throat> what it was like to put that event. I mean, I hesitate to call on about that, that yeah. meeting, that yeah. gathering of souls Just round together <laughs> <laughs> um, from your perspective, because when I came in, like, I mean, I wouldn't call you a fraud in any way, shape, or form, um, but you definitely like. It was it read completely different. I thought you I thought you had it together, man. Like, and you did such an amazing job, even in that first one, like facilitating. I was blown away, honestly. In fact, I think I said it then, and I've said it since. Like, if I was the one. (laughs) who put these meetings together it would be like a drunken mess Mm -hmm. like it would just be a shit show and you I think because you have you have a very um orderly I think method right like you're you're Type A in a sense, right? Yeah, like you're, That's part of why you're so good at planning events mm-hmm. is because you know how to like make the list and knock all the things off of the right. list and then make the sub list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and I feel like when you host these, um, you're so, I don't know, I feel like you did such an incredible job of like setting a precedent mm-hmm. and creating um, this gathering that also had like a really necessary structure to it. Because without that structure, it is a free for all and it becomes very easily like just a bitching session, right? Yeah. Because like you said as women, um, and also more importantly as entrepreneurs, it's really easy to just bitch yeah. instead of being like, because I think it's a very different question. Like what's difficult? Like what are you struggling through is a different question than like, like what don't you like? You know what I mean? Because the struggle is real and it's, and it's deeper and it's darker. And as an entrepreneur, I think we're all feeling like we got to fake it till we make it. Totally. I honestly feel like I conjured you out of my like hopes and dreams because <laughs> you're witchy. Yeah, yeah, desire. yeah, yeah. I'm a witch, um, <laughs> and because you like popped out of nowhere, and then the next week you put together this thing, and I feel like literally right before I met you, I had been saying to someone because I was just starting my business. Pretty, I mean, I was it was maybe a year in. I don't know. It was like I was a baby. I still am. I'm a baby, um, mm. and. I remember saying to like Tatum or somebody else who I didn't even realize was invited to that. um, Like, gosh, I really, I really wish that we could be honest with each other about how hard this is and like talk in an honest, candid way about the struggle because I feel like I have this really messed up perception of other people's success Mm -hmm. at this juncture and it's making me feel super insecure and then you created this group that was, like, the answer to my prayers, and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It still is. Every time I go, it, like, feeds my soul in such an incredible way.
2: Yeah. And thanks. And, you know, I think that's important that um to to think about, you know, like you said, it's it's really easy. There's a lot of, like, book clubs and wine clubs out there, and, and women sit around and they, like, bitch about things, which is, you know, and I hesitate to say bitch. But, like, complain about things, yes. and then we all kind of say, like, oh, yeah, that's – things we should complain about and don't worry about it and you're so great and that's like not helpful I wanted I that's kind of like um I just really wanted there to be a safe space where you could say the hard thing and people would just like listen to you and not try to solve it and not try to tell you it's okay and not try to give (laughs) you advice I just wanted you to be able to say the same thing the hard thing out loud Um, and that's something that I think I, I still struggle with saying the hard thing out loud. And I'm really, really just trying to create space for that because I think that, you know, I think that, um, it's really easy to like, like you said, you know, you felt like a fraud. I felt like a fraud. It's really easy to like, think of yourself as that internal flashlight as opposed to like, kind of like what you're radiating to other people. And I think that the more we can kind of speak about that internal flashlight, like how we feel about ourselves and and get like a room check that nobody thinks that way. I think um, it's a
1: good reality. It's really good. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've done an incredible, so, okay, you, you did this small group and yeah. then,
2: and then that, and then you all asked me to, if you could invite your friends and I was like, you know, I live in a one bedroom apartment, right? We can <laughs> you not fit in here.
1: Yeah. You're like, we should keep this what it is. And right. I think that was smart too, because what we have, like that core group of women is, yeah. is so important. A tree of trust. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you, but it very um, intelligently, you were like, how do I offer this to other people, right? right? How do I bring yeah. this to the masses, but in a way where you don't lose that intimacy, because the intimacy is everything. That's right. the crux of yeah. what makes this whole thing work. So you started the Boss
2: Lady yeah. Bash. And it was more just, so what I ended up doing is after this, like that event was amazing, and I was really excited that um, our small group meeting. And so um, I wanted to do, and it was like one of those things if, you know, if, If you're listening and you kind of like know something so clearly that it doesn't even matter financially what you have to invest, you just know it's gonna work out. Like that was probably I think the last time I felt that way was like that the boss lady bash. Yeah. I I just knew. I was yeah. like, this is totally going to be awesome. Isn't and it people it gonna be that like, happens? Yeah. It
1: feels so good. I was
2: like, and so I good. got the venue for free. So that was like, well, whatever. It doesn't work. Right? I do not <laughs> spend any money. So it was all good. And you got sponsored. And I got some sponsors. Yeah, it, was, it just all came together. And so what I ended up doing is um, I wanted – I didn't necessarily want it to be an event, um, but I wanted people to know that we were having the conversation of like, you don't have to especially in the wedding industry, because that's, you know, that was kind of where I was coming from. That was where a lot of my network was. And that's at least initially a lot of people who came, um, maybe like 25%, about a quarter of the room was Do like, you feel like it's still
1: way. in that percentage. Uh,
2: no, I would say a lot of photographers, but that's just because there's a lot of photographers, but I'm um, definitely in the creative realm. And also, um, you know, I'm really, I try to be really respectful, but a lot of people will come and they won't be specific to like the creative industry, they'll be like real estate agent, which is fine. Um, but I know that it's different. I know that um, being Isn't a creative it, yeah. business owner is, is just a little bit different than kind of, you know, making a commission or, mm-hmm. or something like that. And so, um, so a couple of months later, so I guess to kind of fill everyone in who's listening, uh, I launched an event and sold it out in 24 hours, six weeks before the event date. Um, it was 40, 35 spots I sold. Um, and, We had this really amazing gathering that basically I was like, I just want it to be like my living room, but like more people. And so essentially we had at this very cute boutique hotel in their lobby and there were like five groups of seven women or eight women or something like that. And the questions again to recycle, reduce, reuse, and recycle was, what do you want to celebrate? Everyone go around and say your name and your business and what you want to celebrate that you're doing well. And what do you want to... um, what do you what can we help you with? What do you need help with? What's and your struggle. And I budgeted two hours and of course, like two we ran away. We always um, do. Yeah. And so <laughs> you asked
1: me to facilitate, and yeah. I was so honored. It was amazing. I yeah, I felt yeah. so unbelievably flattered. And it was such an incredible experience. Yeah. Um I've since facilitated that one and then um the most recent. Recently, that was in the most April, yeah. one. Yeah. Um and I'm like, I feel like I'm going to be known as like the talker facilitator like my group always runs on (laughs) like my and and then there's also always tears too i don't know about the other groups but like i I feel like we break down the barriers real quick and shit gets super raw and like inevitably we're all crying and you're like okay moving on to the next question and (laughs) we're all
2: like "Uh (laughs) that's how i run a group (laughs) and that's awesome and i think you know it doesn't you know for me it's like I don't I don't care. I really just want people to know whether or not in the room when they're there that if they open up or not because it's hard, you know, if people aren't used to it, if they're used to the kind of like high level. Mm-hmm. I just want to know that I want them to know that there are, there is a place to be honest. Um, and I think that that is a lot of times what, especially with female dominated industries, a lot of times it's like, she's got it all. She's doing the mom thing yeah. and the wife thing and the business thing and she's got it all. And a part of me is like, I don't I want there to be a place where we can all be honest about it and
1: I want so much more honesty in every yeah. pocket of my life. Yeah. And especially in this industry. Mm-hmm. I think um this industry is it's like veiled in this golden mm-hmm. light, right? Like everything yeah. looks beautiful all the time right. and there's no real talk about how messy and how intense it is right. and like, how the pricing structure is established in the first place based sure. on the fact that, like, as a client, like, and you can attest to this, the difference between a corporate client and a wedding client, I mean, yeah. like, you have to be a therapist for totally. a wedding
2: client also. It's a lot more emotional, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's just a lot to juggle, and, um, yeah, and I just feel like nobody is having any real conversation about yeah. any of that, yeah. which is, I mean, or about, like, the difference between wedding and marriage, right, mm-hmm. which... Is a huge part of this show and definitely something I want to talk to you about in just a little bit. Cool. Um, Let's move for a second into your dating life. Because we have you on a show about weddings and marriage and love, the universal concept of love. Right. Um, (laughs) Which I I really believe in. That's great. Totally do. Because that was my next question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, when I first met you, you were dating someone, but it wasn't like anything super serious. It didn't seem like, um, and you, I'm super curious about any, because I've been, as you know, in a relationship for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I am very curious about anyone who's dating in the modern age with Tinder and like, this
2: whole messy... Did you want me to take out my Tinder so yeah, that you could type again? Yeah, I just want to... Yeah, no, you
1: were my... you were. I broke my cherry on your Tinder. <laughs> yeah, you did. Patrick and I yeah. were like, this is a game! Yeah. Literally,
2: I was like, can I take that back from you? just got linked up with all Thanks. these creepy guys. Because right, totally. Patrick
1: and I just say you so up with a bunch of guys who look like Patrick. <laughs> people. We have a type. It's Patrick. <laughs> no, I'm super fascinated mm. by dating right now it's a completely different environment and climate than it's ever been before how do you feel about because i know that you're on tinder still right i am it's
2: wonderful um you know it's really funny and i mentioned this to you a little bit before um for so long, so I have a sister, preface, I have a sister who's 16 years older than me and she's also a family and relationship therapist. So, you know, double whammy on that one. She's wow. like essentially lived in an entire life. She's like generation. another mom a, and yeah.
1: also she has all the advice. Right, and she
2: swears, which is awesome. But um, That's great. she, my whole 20s, when I was kind of doing the thing that you do in your 20s, which is like mess things up and, and make mistakes and, um, and I was always single because, you know, My parent, my family were immigrants or my dad and mom are both from, uh, grandparents are from Italy. And so they kind of grew up with this immigrant mentality. And so the narrative when I was growing up around anything was like you're only as, you have to prove your worth through your work. And so I just grew up with like, I have to be working. And so when I graduated from college in 2007, I didn't care that I was working 80 hours a week and miserable because I was proving my worth through my work. And then in 2008, when I was working like 30 hours a week because they, you know, my law firm was trying not to, you know, lay off their entire staff, I had a really a really big identity crisis because I didn't know where my worth was. My worth was in my work and I wasn't working as hard as I wanted to. And so for most of my 20s until I kind of really started my business at 20 well, until I really like felt confident in my, in my business about 29, 30, um, I was looking for worth and I didn't know where that was. And I think I did a lot of dating and I was trying to find my worth in another person because that's the narrative, right? Like
1: yeah, a lot of, most of us. Yeah. That.
2: The narrative is like, you will be worth something once you find someone like, who is I'm worthy. Like now I'm complete. I was yeah. half and now I am whole. Yeah. And so I struggled a lot with that in my twenties was like, not being able to work as hard as I wanted to and not knowing what that path was because you're figuring that out in your 20s anyway.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then also not finding a partner that would value me. And and that was like confusing. Um, and so my sister, I would always call her on the phone and I would be like, I just, this guy and he's not calling me back and I don't really know what's up. And she'd be like, you're not ready. It was so irritating <laughs> Every time. to me. I was so irritated. <laughs> you're like, fuck you. Right? <laughs> and so that kind of, that process just continued to happen. And then- I started understanding my worth through my work again when I started my business, and it was hard for two years. It was just nothing but hard. And then about twenty nine thirty, when I started boss lady, I started understanding the what I was doing and my purpose, and that was really helpful. Um, and then this is uh, how this kind of relates to dating: is I was I was really wrapped up in my work. When things were when I was busy and things were going well, I was like. Casually dating—if guys didn't call me back, I didn't care. I was like, "Whatever." I've got like twelve more on Tinder lined up. Like, I don't even. It was this very kind of like empowering sense of what you think like being a single woman with her own business. It's like very Sex in the City in my brain. Yeah, I know.
1: I was just about to say how very Carrie. It was very Carrie Brownshaw
2: of me. I was like, you know, (laughs) I was like, you know, had my own money, and finally, I thought at the time, I was like, finally, I, I've gotten to this place where. Now I can. Ha- I'm ready for a relationship because I know I can like support myself and be on my own, and and I value myself through work. I was mistaken because what ended up happening is after. So 2015 was an amazing year, um, and then my season slows down in about November, um, and so November through January I was so slow of 2015 into the beginning of this year, that I like blew through all my money going out and and dating and kind of had this like again identity crisis of like, I'm not working because it's, the because hello, Lauren, figure out your seasons. But like, (laughs) oh my God, like I'm worthless again. Yeah. And so I didn't realize it at the time. I was very much in it. Um, And so in February, my dad is a snowbird. So he leaves New York and goes to Florida. (laughs) So Italian, like East coast, like New York. (laughs) I'm just going to go to Florida for the winter, (laughs) but he goes to Florida. So I fly out to Florida for a weekend and um, in February, and my dad and I always had a really hard relationship. He was very—he was an entrepreneur. He was very like uh, patriarchal, patriarchal, very like immigrant Italian, like Tony Soprano. Yeah, yeah, that's my dad. Um, and Tony Soprano is your dad, yeah, like essentially. Okay. Uh, and we always had a really tough relationship because my dad saw—I think he saw my potential being a leader and being kind of in the entrepreneurial sphere, but I just never—I wanted to do it on my own so he wanted to be a part of it, and I wouldn't let him. And so in February, I went down and visited him, and I was kind of like, oh, he's going like, to lecture me or whatever. And we had this really wonderful weekend where I sat and worked, and he sat and did his work. He does; He's a contractor, furthering the Italian stereotype. He, you know, <laughs> he also um, used
1: to own a restaurant, yeah. <laughs> an Italian restaurant, you guys. He also Just, poured concrete over Jimmy Hoffa. The I mean, Italian uh, man. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so we had this really wonderful weekend where – My dad was telling me about, you know, when we were young and he was starting his second business and he was like, it was hard. I was trying to provide for you kids and I would buy a house and I'd fix it up and I'd sell it. And I finally kind of understood his like drive to kind of be an entrepreneur. I just, it was like the first time I could identify with my dad ever in my life. Um, Pretty magical. And in that moment, I realized, or kind of in the subsequent moments afterwards, I realized that no matter how like the outside veneer of me being like i'm a successful woman, i got my shit together, i pay for my own drinks, i pay for my man's drinks. <laughs> like
1: yes. no matter
2: how much i said that out loud, i didn't actually feel that. i was waiting. and this is called the princess complex. i was waiting to be saved. i was waiting for someone to pick me. i was waiting for my my worth to be recognized by another human being.
1: do you feel like and i'm curious if you're italian? upbringing had anything to do with this but do you feel like as a child you had like that princess concept like that concept Mm -hmm. of marriage and the fantasy like whisked off your feet by prince charming kind of like did you dream about that yeah
2: i think it's a hard narrative to escape you know my mom as much of like she's kind of like a closet feminist she's you know kind of a, a liberal but she again like very traditional italian like she worked my grown up, but she was very much like she cleaned and she cooked and she took care of us. And she was definitely the primary caregiver in the family. And so she had this weird kind of like straddling two lines of like being the primary parent caregiver. And then also being, being a breadwinner at times when my dad's business was like, you know, like it does roller coasters. Yeah. Um, And, and my mom's, one of her biggest values is security. And so she stayed with my dad you know for a long time they were divorced and then she got married pretty shortly after um again to a wonderful guy but her her like the worry that she had for me of like i want you to grow up and be a successful woman and a happy and a happy person equated to being secure with a man and mm-hmm. that was the message that subliminally or subconsciously or my whole life it was like you will be happy when you are married, you will be happy and taken care of when you have a boyfriend. And she would always get so excited when I would be dating someone and then she would yes. be more crushed than I was
1: yeah, when we would break up. Pressure.
2: And so that narrative, I think through my teens and twenties was, was very strong. Um, And, you know, my mom did the best she did as our parents do. They do the best with what they, yeah. with the, what they Funny have. Um, but I think that narrative was very much that princess complex like you will be whole you will be able to do things like buy a house or start a business or make real money when you have a partner to rely on um yeah and so this past February when I went and hung out with my dad for a couple days and he was just like oh no 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 you got this like you can he's like you know he's like you want to buy a house like we'll we'll set up a savings plan like I'll I'll coach you through it I'll help you and you can buy your own house like you don't need anybody else and I was like I I don't like it was this wow (sighs) Um, And so since then, since February, I've been very just discerning about kind of like, now I don't feel like I need to be saved. Like, I don't don't need to be saved. And it's made dating and Tinder and online and meeting people so much more enjoyable. And I'm meeting better people and I'm meeting amazing men who are amazing in their own right, but I'm not attached to the fact that they're going to save me. And sometimes we part ways like Adam and I did. And Sometimes we stay friends and sometimes, but, and sometimes we don't and that's, and yeah. it's all fine. So it's just now my sister is right. I am ready. finally. <laughs> thank fucking God. But, um, it just, it just yeah. took a while to kind of get to that. I feel like mindset. we've
1: we've talked a little bit about that permission piece, which I feel like your dad right. gave you right there, right? Yeah. And also, what a powerful place for that permission mm-hmm. to come from, especially being totally. that it pertains to your like romantic life, <laughs> totally. right? Totally. To have your dad be like, "Oh, by the way, yeah, you don't need anybody," right. and you're like, "What?" Yeah. Like I'm because sometimes it just needs to come from someone else. Like the answer, I think, lives in there. Sure. Whatever it is that we're struggling with, it's always in there. Um, and ultimately, we need to give ourselves that permission, mm-hmm. but sometimes it takes. That outside voice, yeah. and you're like, "Oh my right. God, you're right." Yeah. I don't yeah. I, this whole time, and I it, and most often you're not even admitting that it's such a huge player, mm-hmm. you know, such a yeah. huge part of the decision making process. Yeah. But that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's fun. Man. So it's
2: changed dating a lot for me, and and it's the I have a friend, a really good male friend who, um, we were on a hike a couple weeks ago, and I was kind of complaining about a couple guys that I had been seeing, and he just. He was like, "Gosh, I really love all of the women I'm seeing," and I'm like, "Well, but why can't you just?" I
0: love it. I was
2: like, "Why can't you just pick one?" And he's like, "Because I really love to celebrate the people that I get to go on dates with for their amazing, unique qualities." And like, why don't we just like focus on the amazing, unique qualities of of people, even if we don't think that they're the the one?" And I was like,
1: "What?" And you were—it was just like a moment of insight into the man of mind or Uh, mind of a man, mind of a man.
2: (laughs) And I was like, "Oh." Man of the mind. There was a lot of M's
1: in there. There was a lot um, of M's.
2: That's amazing. So it's good, yeah. And so that's kind of something now every time I go on a date, uh, I think about, like, what, try to appreciate what amazing them. thing is this person who may or may not be the love of my life going to, to bring me? I like um, and I think, like, you can, like, micro-love people for certain things and certain changes that they bring to your life. And I think that's the gratitude. You know, I think dating, I was just at this retreat that I was, um, that I was planning and The narrative I think a lot around dating for women especially especially in their 30s is like so negative and like and these guys and they don't know what's up and they need to get their shit together and part of me is like get your own shit together not even that just yeah and yeah and totally like (laughs) you know it's if you come I don't know for me anyway and you know again personal experience coming at this stuff with a sense of gratitude has made it so much better Than this sense of impatience or want or, you know, the insecurity of, like, somebody's got to save me and I want it now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's the difference between feeling victimized or empowered, right? Like, if you're in this situation where you feel like your love life is out of your control and, like, men just don't get it and, like, they're the problem, like, oh, it's, yeah, like, and then, like, poor me, why doesn't any, you know, like, that's just, it feels like a really toxic way to live. Yeah. Oh, I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah, so, and that, yeah,
2: that the princess complex is the other thing that we got to work on it with our girls. Yeah, we got to be like, you got it, sister. You can do it yourself. I know. I have a little
1: sister who's fourteen years old mm-hmm. right now, almost fifteen. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I'm so curious. I think about it all the time when I'm talking to her, like how anyone, including myself, without even realizing it, is like subconsciously planting these ideas. Mm-hmm of, like, self-worth or body image or, you know, falling in love and how that makes somebody a complete person or not. Like, all of those things. And, no you know, now I'm just, like, it, it's an, it's, it makes me super nervous and also really terrified of having my own children.
2: <laughs> Big <laughs> responsibility.
1: Oh, my gosh. It's huge. um So your parents, how old were you when they got divorced?
2: So I was six when they separated, and then I think, like, seven or eight when they ended up getting divorced. And to be honest, you know, my It's so funny because I for so long didn't want to be like my dad and I'm so much like him just in terms of like entrepreneur, like just being an entrepreneur and I look like him and everything. Um, (laughs) So they, so they divorced when I was young. They both, it was each of their second marriage. And then um, they're both apparently committed to their third right now. We're so far so good. Third time's a charm apparently to my parents. So they've been with their respective partners for the longest that they've ever been with a partner, so.
1: And I've met your dad and your stepmother. They came yes, for your 30th They did birthday. come
2: for my 30th yeah. birthday. They are uh, the pair, quite the pair. They too, really. are hilarious. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're pretty funny.
1: So, did that experience going through their divorce, like, did that affect your concept of marriage when you were a child? Did it make you question or, like, I don't know, sometimes, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. my, my parents have been through, like, all of the divorces, sure. many of them. So no, I, I don't think, know if it changed me, but...
2: Yeah, you know, I think, you know, and I would like to preface this, but that, that I've spent a lot of money on a lot of expensive therapy. So, oh, yeah, so um, yeah, it definitely affected me because it affected their parenting, right? It's harder to parent from two households than, than you can, than to parent from one. And it's hard to parent a child when you don't really like their significant, their you know, their other their new present. parent. Yeah. So um, it certainly affected me. Um, and I didn't realize how much it, until I was like in my late 20s and started kind of working on some of those, like, issues and anger kind of that I had toward them. Did you still feel like marriage made the most sense to you as like a structure? I think it's, that's a great question. I think that marriage, uh, I think that the conversation needs to be a lot more... Um, a lot more f- fluid. I think. I think the the view and how marriage is portrayed is really unrealistic to a lot of it's people. Very black and white. Yeah, and it's I, a
1: one size fits all situation. Yeah, and it
2: was. It's it's so true. And I think that. Um, I this is another. I had a friend this weekend at this kind of retreat that I. Um, this is the second year I was doing it. I was planning it, and she had mentioned that she was dating a guy who was either getting out of a relationship with someone or, like, still kind of in a relationship, and I, I didn't say anything. I kind of was like, Okay. Because in my head, I'm like, you deserve more. You deserve more. Like, I'm going to hold you to that. But okay, you have safe space. And then later she was like, I could tell by your reaction that you were offended. And I didn't want to offend you by suggesting that I was like kind of the other woman. And I was like, oh, no, no, that's not offensive to me. Like, it's not that at all. Because I think that a lot of times in long term relationships, we have this very rosy picture of you know, how, how it goes all the time. You know, nobody talks about the hard. And usually when they do talk about it, they're like, we're going through divorce. And it's like, oh, well, what happened in between? Right, like,
1: like it's just so black and white One yeah. day you're there and the next day you're gone. Totally. But and it's so, not like that at all. Yeah,
2: and so I think that we can all benefit. And I don't know, because I haven't been in a very long-term relationship. You're probably, I should ask you this question. But like we could all benefit <laughs> from like being more honest again about what those long-term relationships look like and what you do when it's hard, and maybe you kind of, like, take breaks from your relationship knowing that you still love each other. Like, I don't know. I have no idea. But yeah. the conversation needs to be better than it currently
1: I is. agree. I agree. It is not a one-size-fits-all. Mm-hmm. Like, the monogamous, like, <clears throat> man plus woman equals forever, Right. it's bullshit. Yeah. And I think it works for some people, but yeah. it's a it can pretty work. small yeah. portion of the population, I think. Yeah. And even the people who manage to make it work, a lot of the time... um, I don't know. I feel like I've heard of people going through like a 20 or 10 year period of time where they like really don't like each other. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, and I'm glad I stuck it out because now I really love them again. And, and I don't know, I mean, it's such, it's such a commitment and it's such a, more than anything, it's a decision to like keep making an effort to like somebody over and over and over again and to evolve alongside them and change and accept that they're going to change. Right, you know, I think um, in the movies, right, they're always like, "You're not the person I fell in love with." Right, and it's like, duh. duh, yeah, like, hello, <laughs> that would be terrible. Was that? Yeah, that person was twenty one. Yeah. Like, right, they right. were an asshole. Yeah, I'm way cooler than they are.
2: <laughs> and I think you know Dan Savage, who I love. Dan Savage, I listen to him like religiously, but um, which. Thank God he is ta- he is starting that co- the conversation and, and thank God this podcast is like starting the conversation about like what marriage actually looks like. And he always talks about like marriage is a long-term contract and there is no contract that go in the world that goes unnegotiated for yeah. 30, 40, 50 years. Like it's constantly a negotiation, constantly a reevaluation. Absolutely. And I think that, that that, you know, and again, this is, <laughs> I totally like, I feel like someone is going to be listening to this who's like, you know, been in been married for like 50 years and be like, that girl is not what the fuck she's talking about. Yeah. But <laughs> on, like, my, fair enough, fair yeah, <laughs> on my very like rosy and experienced kind of like side, I just feel like anytime you commit to anything for that long, there has to be at least a little bit of wiggle room for negotiation. I don't know what that negotiation Oh, absolutely.
1: Like, but, no, it's a yeah. give and take. There, I mean, everybody needs to be willing to compromise. Yeah. And there are, there are hard lines to be sure. Yeah. But I think – um If you're inflexible, you're fucked. Right. There is no long-term relationship that works for you.
2: Right. But there's no conversation that's like – like the the conversation is like, that's it. And I dated – I just – you know, I dated a really wonderful guy and he was like – at any – he's like, I will never budge on like we are monogamous forever. And I was like, I I bet in 10 years you're going to rethink that. So (laughs) like it just – you know, I'm not going to hold you to it, but – Yeah, you're like, never say never. Right? Like I just – I really – you know, so – but that's just me.
1: No, I think, I think about this a lot and it's part of why I want to have this show and to have this conversation is because um, we, as a society, we have this very linear perception of what it means to um, commit yourself to somebody, what that celebration looks like, what the ensuing years look like, <laughs> and I think it is so different for so many people and I'm really interested in hearing what people from all different situations have to say about that experience or their expectation versus the reality of that right. experience. I mean, my relationship has gone through at least two pretty serious low points where I seriously questioned, like, are we going to make it through this? I yeah. don't know. I mean, I've been, you know, it's been 10 years now. Um, so if those are the odds, right? <laughs> like, right. then I've got yeah. a few more really low points to look forward to in a lifetime yeah. spent with this person. And um which, yeah, and I just want an open dialogue about what that means. And, um,
2: which is like people, you know, people go through that in their business and their careers and like so many other pieces of life. And they're like, oh, you're just in a dip. But like when you go through it in relationships, it's like people, it's like, it's yeah. time to get divorced. Is it the yeah, end? It's the end. Like maybe
1: you should bow out. Yeah. And, and so yeah. I just
2: think that that's, yeah, I don't know. And, and the other, and the other part that I think is wonderful about, you know, being in a long term relationship with someone is that like there is something about that commitment that, that, um, that encourages you to to get through it, to be a better person. And that's something that I've never experienced. And that's why I'm like, I believe in love because I so want to experience that kind of like feeling of like, even though it's hard right now, like,
1: like just the, I think what it is, is like trusting that that person is a constant in your mm-hmm. life and trusting that like no matter how far you fall right. or seriously they fuck up or you fuck up or whatever right. it is. Yeah. Like that they got your back and vice versa and that there's a level of forgiveness yeah. for all of, for life. Right. right? Cause we're all gonna yeah. go through the shit storm yeah. at one point or another so and sometimes agree. together <laughs> yeah. and I'm it so can agree. be really hard. But, um, yeah, I, Thank you so much. Yeah, this was so fun. I first of do all, it every just, week. Yeah, God. Could you, oh, wait, you are. Do you want to be a regular? I think we can do You let me know. Um, I <laughs> should be a little more drunk next time. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> when you're finally off your what finally, are you 37 30, days? 98 days of not eating. How many days of not know. eating Who all day? That's <laughs> terrible. Um, way to do it in the summertime, also. Right, and just yeah. really test your relationship. Really, totally.
2: Yeah. I like to be hardcore.
1: <laughs> I do know you to be a very hardcore person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love you so much. Yeah. Thanks for I'm so glad me. that you came and um, and I'm really, I was excited to talk to you because you, like I said, like there's just no bullshit and I've always had that from you and I want to cultivate yeah. that on this show. Yeah. I just really want to talk to people who are willing to like say all of the things right. and not censor themselves and worry about whose toes they're stepping on yeah. or like what totally. future client's going to be like, that was very unprofessional yeah. of you right. to say the word fuck. Yeah like
2: whatever. Yeah. So thank you for your honesty, your
1: candor, for being a boss.
2: Yeah.
0: That's all for today. Get your Lauren Caselli fix at laurencaselli.com and bossladybash.com. And don't forget to visit the Real Talk section on my website, jasminerlilly.com, for some contextual photos from today's episode, as well as links to Lauren's websites. Drop me a line at avowedpodcast at gmail.com to join the conversation. I'll be back with a new episode every Tuesday through the end of May, plus a hefty amount of bonus content. Subscribing today means you won't miss a moment of this cathartic conversation. Have a wonderful week, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.